Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, September 25th, 2016. The share ID for Friday, September 23rd, is 9103. That's 9103. This morning, A Vision for You presents The Recovery Bank. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening and inward rearrangement that actually transforms us into different people. We have a profound alteration in our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe as a result of our new spiritual condition. The obsession of the mind has been driven out. We have been restored to sanity. The big book also gives us a very clear warning. If we do not keep in fit spiritual condition, we will relapse. Our mental obsession will return. How do we keep in fit spiritual condition? Steps 10, 11, and 12 keep us in fit spiritual condition and growing along spiritual lines. It is by continuing to take a daily inventory, continuing with daily prayer and meditation practice, and continuing to help other compulsive overeaters that we continue to grow along spiritual lines and keep ourselves fit to be of service to those about us. And joining us this morning is Scotty Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Scotty is committed to our 12-step way of life and to carrying this message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Scotty. Hey, Leah. Do you hear me okay? I hear you well. Thanks. Yeah, look at me. Hi, everybody. I'm Scott, gratefully, or Scotty, whatever you want to call me. Um, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I'm so incredibly grateful to be able to have this opportunity. And um, I am just... Uh, you know, thank you, Leah, for your opening. It's always it's always profound to me. Like I, you know, I come up with these ideas about all right. Well, what do I want to do for meeting Leah? Texts me, and and I come up with ideas, and she helps me. And we 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 talk to each other, and everybody who's spoken here has done the same thing. You know, and she said, I, I said, well, you know what? I know I was supposed to do something a few weeks ago, and then that didn't work out. Um, but I want to do something different called the recovery bank. And she's like, what's that? I'm like, what, you know, tell me about that. Not what's that. And obviously, we kind of know what that is. But, you know, tell me what your thoughts are on it. And I sent her a few text messages, and I got back all these superlatives. Like, Scott, that's fantastic. It's wonderful. It's, it's something that, that we really need. And, it's, and, 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 and I got, you know, and I started saying to myself, this is, this is like my MO, my, my method of operations these days. And um, let me give you a little history about me. Um, my name is Scott Kanferlitz, and I use my last name only because there's a lot of Scots running around. Um, Scotty K from New York is fine. You can, I don't care about my last name. You can call me whatever. And I'm nobody famous. But, uh, but at the same time, I've been in OA since June, June 6th of 1991. So I've been around 25 years. Most of that time has been abstinent, meaning I got into program, I went back and forth, uh, I came in as a 21-year-old kid because I'm 46, 
And, and, you know, I got abstinent a few months after I came in, and I stayed abstinent for seven years. And I'll, and I'll tell that story, actually, because that's part of today's, um, today's edition. Um, and, then, and then, you know, I had some, some time in between of here and there and six months here and a month here, and, and all sorts of other challenges were happening in my life. And then 9-11 hit, and I was one of those people personally affected by 9-11. And... And then next thing I know, I regain all my weight and I'm back up to over 500 pounds, 508 pounds actually. And I was weighed on a pallet jack two days before, you know, the, the day I started my absence, which was March 6th of 2003. So I'm currently abstinent since March 6th, 2003, as I just said. So what is that? 13 and a half years because we're in September and September is, you know, my half. I also am born in March, so March is easy for me. So I know September is a half birthday. You know, as a little kid, I'm like, oh, I'm five and a half. Well, I'm seven and a half. Well, you know, I'm 13 and a half years abstinent a day at a time. And it is a daily reprieve. It's a one-day thing. And, and by, by God's grace, and I use the word recovered. A lot of us do on this line. So you'll hear the word a lot. It does not mean cured. And we're going to talk about that today as well. But by recovered, what that means for me is that I put God and God puts himself way more powerful than the food is for me right now. Food, alcohol, women, other, you know, any sort of drug I can go after. And, um, you know, I fit into many seats in the Titanic, as they say, uh, but I feel the most comfortable here. So I only go to OA meetings. I've done big book conferences for AA and big book conferences for this one and that one and whatever. Um, because of my knowledge and understanding and love of of our our you know basic text, however, Overeaters Anonymous is my main uh, thing. So to tell you a little story, and I gotta I gotta talk about my brother a little bit because he he fits into this story of the recovery bank. Because um, today, you guys, a lot of you know me. Um, I've been I've been on these phone lines since 2013, 2014, like sort of maybe six or seven months after the, you guys got started. And then I was invited to tell my story and one of those miraculous stories that, that Leia talks about. And she's so great at this, with the superlatives. I'm like, oh, I got to live up to that? I don't know. But, you know, she, she, she's great at her amazing service that she does here. So I, um, yeah, I told my story and I spoke for an hour and 15 minutes back a few years ago. And I spoke about how I took the steps and how I sponsored the steps and I called it Carry This Message. And I did that back in 2013. And, and so, you know, that's, that's what that was. And now it's 2016. The last couple of years, some of you know, who know me in real life, you know, outside of these meetings and this and that, and some of you who call me regularly, know that I've been in and out of hospitals. I've had a lot of medical issues. And in the last 18, well, at this point, 19 months, I've been hospitalized nine times. And nine times for all different dilemmas, you know, stomach issues with, with, with this, with that, with, with pancreas stuff, with liver stuff, with heart stuff, lung stuff, just all sorts of issues. And I, I realized that, that I was being drained and kind of sucked dry in a lot of ways. So I thought about a topic like this recently. But in any case, let me, let me tell my original story of how I got into program, and then I'll fast forward. We'll fast forward 25 years all the way to now. Um, so I came into program, again, 
I, I was born, um, I'm 46, 46 and a half, I should say, because I'm born in March. My birthday is March 18th. Write it down. Um, just kidding. No, I'm actually not kidding because I love birthday calls. And um, I, uh, I um, was your average dysfunctional compulsive overeaters. They, they say the average dysfunctional family, there's 97% of families are dysfunctional and the other 3% are lying. So, okay, I come from your average dysfunctional family. My mother, compulsive overeater. My father, compulsive undereater. Um, my mother, gambler. Uh, they didn't really drink, but my mother took a lot of like sort of Jewish housewife in New York type of pills like Valium and, and you know, a lot of those benzodiazepines and, and this and that. And also she was a compulsive gambler. And again, that's not judging. It's just, it is what it is. She's deceased and, and is whatever. My dad, um, like I said, he, he underate and he, um, I'm saying he underate for a reason because I'm going to, part of this story is about that. But my father also um, fell and he had chronic pain um, and he had nerve damage and he got addicted to medications and he had ulcers and he had all sorts of other stuff. So, so they, they, didn't, they lived really, really hard lives. So we all look at our parents and our families, our family of origin as uh, how did we get started? What did we do? How did we do it? Well, you know what? 25 years into program, I can now discuss this stuff with a, with a reasonable amount of intelligence and, and also without freaking out and crying and, and, and having to write down like 900 pages because I've done all that before. That's, that's what we call an inventory. So the bottom line is, is my brother, who's four years older than me, is developmentally disabled. And as much as I held the weight in and gained and gained and gained and gained and overate, he was the opposite. He followed after my father's tracks by undereating. So, but being developmentally disabled, which back in 1966, he was diagnosed as borderline retarded, and they used the R word back then. Uh, nowadays, he'd be on the autism spectrum because, you know, the guy lives and he pays his own rent and, and he takes care of his bills and, and he lives a happy life and he has friends and, and, you know, he's more responsible than I am half the time. So, um, but that's the thing. So we grew up together, my brother and I, his name is Ira. Um, you can't get more Jewish than Ira Kantrowitz and I'm Scott Kantrowitz and you can't get more Jewish than us as far as name goes. But, and, and it's funny because I laugh because there's a lot of Jew, Jewish people who call on this line who call me afterwards and, and, and I get a lot of calls from, from, uh, from Jewish people, which is why I, I always make an extra mention for, for my people, which is just, it's because it's funny and it's also true. Um, but, uh, but what's also funny is that I have a sponsor who's the opposite, who's, you know, a Catholic, you know, and very conservative. And I'm a Jew who was very much a liberal. So it's, it's funny that, that, that we, can, we can have different values, but at the same time have a, re a program of recovering. So in any case, my brother, uh, he was really sick as far as, as his, as much as I was eating and overeating and stole and, you know, did everything the classic compulsive overeater does. You go to meetings, you hear the same things. I stole, I stole money for food. I stole food. I ate, I ate off of other people's plates. I ate off the floor. I ate off the street. I, I did all of that. So I don't even need to tell you, and this is not going to be a food log, because if you guys know me, I'm more about the action and, and the solution as opposed to talking about the problem. So my brother, 
um, is the opposite. So he, his diagnosis in, 1960, in 1986 was atypical bulimorexic. And by the atypical part, it's because of his developmental disabilities that he was mentally sick and then also had the anorexia and bulimia. So he basically was in rehab after rehab after rehab, and I never had him growing up. I, he was always away. Either he was away in like a sleepaway, quote-unquote, school, um, or he was home or, and constantly going to rehabs. So, and he's four years older and also shares a birthday two days past mine, so God forbid I, I, I can actually have a birthday without him having a birthday also. So, you know, I can never be celebrated without him getting acknowledged as well. So it's a whole thing. And it was a whole thing growing up. And the best way I can explain my disease, and this is where we'll fast forward a little bit, the best way I can explain my disease is sort of if you picture in your mind, close your eyes, and picture a straight line across, right to left, and, and go in the middle and put zero, and then all the way to the left, put negative 10, and all the way to the right, put positive 10. So you have a mathematical chart from, from negative 10 all the way to zero, all the way to positive 10. So when I first picked up and I first compulsively overeat, I remember at eight years old, because I had a sponsor who's very... And, you know, she asked me very specifically, when did you first pick up? What is your first memory of, quote, unquote, picking up or acting out with food? And I was like, well, I looked back at pictures, and I looked at this, and I looked at that. And, and I compulsively overeat. I remember eight years old, coming home with a note from school that I got into trouble. The vice, pres the vice principal wrote something. My mother opened it up, and she slapped me. And that was a regular occurrence in the Candlewoods household. So she slapped me, and she sent me... You know, and I was all embarrassed, and I was in pain, and I was this and I was that. And I just remember looking at her, my father, my brother, and, and, and two other people, I don't even remember, I think um, neighbors who were in the room. She slapped me in front of these, these strangers, basically. I ran into the kitchen, grabbed an orange, ran into the bedroom, opened it up, ate it as, hum as fast as humanly possible, and I got high. Something happened to me. It, it did something for me that nothing ever could. It took away the pain of the slap. You know, binging on that orange took away binging as, you know, as much as you could binge on, on a single orange, but, but just completely fast, ripping it apart and, and monsterly eating it, it. It did something for me that nothing ever did before. I, I felt a pleasure. I felt normal again. I, I, I lost all the shame that I was feeling. I lost all the pain that my mother would slap me in the face a billion times. I lost everything. And so that got me high. So let's go back to our mathematical chart. So I was living life normally on zero, which, which is the average eight-year-old. That orange did something for me, and it brought me up to a positive nine. It got me high. So like any good drug, it stops working after a while, so we have to keep doing more of it if we want it to work. And so oranges turned into this, turned into, you know, a lot more, turned into forgetting about fruit, I'm, you know, candy, and then turned into this and turned into that. And I'm sorry in advance if I mention foods, because, you know, I live in New York and you can't walk a block without bumping into to some, somebody in, in, in a cart that'll, that'll sell you something. Or, you know, you can't drive. You know, I was just in St. Louis recently to do a retreat. Um, I get sent, you know, I, I fly all over the place to do retreats, and I see people through the steps, and we do a whole thing. So I, I was there, and it's like you drive down this, this one main boulevard, and it was like fast food place after fast food place after restaurant after convenience store after, and it's the same thing. So, yeah, I'm sorry if I mention a lot of food, and I do, and it's just part of the story. So, but in any case, the bottom line is I got high. And 
when I came into OA at 21, or when I came out of relapse, more importantly, at, tw- at 33, because now I'm 46, so I'm 13 and a half years out of my last compulsive bite, I was living life on negative nine and needed to compulsively operate to bring myself up to zero, if that makes any sense. If not, I'll, I'll repeat it one more time and then, then we'll move on. But at, at eight years old, I'm a normal kid and, I, and I'm living life on zero, just, just normally, you know, mentally normally, and then I, I eat something to, to take away the pain and that brings me up to positive nine and then, and then coming into program decade, you know, a decade and a half later or you know, a decade and a half after that at relapse, I all of a sudden was living life as a negative nine and needed to compulsively overeat to bring myself up to zero. So I couldn't get out of bed. You know, on page eight of the, of the big book, Bill talks about Dare having a bottle of gin at the head of his bed. And, you know, our, our OA literature talks all about the, the binge foods that we had that we kept hidden all over the house. And, of course, the big book does the same. And, yeah, I did exactly all that. I did everything and then some. So that's a little bit of my story. So my brother, on the other hand, binged and he would purge and he would just he was really sick about it like he would just purge everywhere and like almost on the street like he would just do it for attention because again he was slow as well as having the disease uh, our our compulsive you know uh, under eater you know bulimic disease so he he developed that so by the time 1990 rolled around and 1991 rolled around my brother had been into seven different rehabs and finally got a list of OA meetings from, from his last rehab. So all the rehabs he was in, nobody gave him any sort of 12-step advice, um, which is signs of the time because these days a lot of rehabs talk, you know, and, and, and you leave there sort of taking the first step or, or understanding the disease, and then they send you to meetings. Um, back then, nobody did that. So thank God the last rehab that he left gave him a list of OA meetings with my mother handed to me. So I, I, told, I used to tell this story a lot, and I won't extend it because I have way more things to talk about. But um, I, I looked at this list of OE meetings because my mother, of course, hands it to me, and she expects me to drive him to his meetings because he can't drive when he doesn't travel well by himself. And she's like, take him to his meetings. And meanwhile, I'm 460 pounds as a 21-year-old, knowing that I have an aunt who's an AA. And, and I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, Mom, do you think I can use this thing too? And she looks and she says, no, no, he's sick. You know better. And I had 460 pounds of you know better. And so I've told that story before. I've gotten a lot of calls from, from a lot of people and, and we've, we've, just, we've had these conversations. But it's true. So I, I took him to his first meeting and it was exactly that. I, dropped, I walked into the synagogue with him because it was a synagogue in the Bronx and brought him to his first meeting. And, and we, we walked together. We looked like the number 10. Like he's a stick. He's six foot three and 130 pounds. I'm, four, you know, six foot one and 460 pounds. And we walked into this meeting, and and the woman behind the synagogue desk looks at me and she goes, "It's over there." And I said, "No, no, 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 it's for him." And I ran out as fast as possible, because you know I knew better, quote unquote, from my mother. And of course, I knew better enough to to drop him off, said goodbye and ran over to three boys from Italy in the Bronx and ate everything on the menu except for thank you, please come again. And I just binged my head off for an hour and a half. When I was done, I picked him up. When I picked him up, he was a different human being. You know, when they say we're on a different footing, 
after one meeting, he was a different person. And so this whole story is not about him. But I just wanted to start off by talking about my beginnings, my history, and a little bit about him because he's part of some of the spiritual experiences that I've been having with all this hospital stays and then where my recovery bank was going to. So, you know, the bottom line was um, I, uh, I, what was I thinking? Okay, so the bottom line is I picked him up. He was a different person. He handed me back then. There was no fancy-schmancy beginner kits. There, there were just a bunch of pamphlets. And I handed all the pamphlets to my mother. And, and the one pamphlet that somehow stayed in my hand was the OA questions and answers pamphlet. And I brought it into the bathroom because I thought it would make good bathroom material. And I read it. And I saw that, that OA followed after Alcoholics Anonymous, which I knew at that point was successful because I had an aunt who had been sober seven years at that point. And I also knew that, okay, it was free, all right, because we were poor, and I told you my mother was a compulsive gambler. There was not a lot of money in our household. Um, and I, I did a lot of stealing and also a lot of lying because if my mouth was moving, I was lying. And so that's, you know, that's kind of how I grew up. And that's how, I, how, that's how I came in, because I looked at the same list of meetings, and after he had his remarkable transformation, and then I read all this stuff, I said to my mom, I was like, you know what, maybe I don't know better, and I want to go to a meeting. And she's like, yeah, yeah, go, go, please, you know, by all means. So the next day, which the two days later, which was June 6th of 1991, was my first meeting. And I went to my first meeting, at my very first meeting, and again, I've told the story here before, I'll just tell it quickly. Um, they said, let's say the serenity prayer. And it was all these women, and it was me, and I was the largest person in the room. And, I, and when I stood up, you know, they, they stood me up, because everybody stood up, so I'm like, all right, let me stand, stand up with these people. Two people, one woman next to me on my right, one woman next to me on my left, took my hands, and we said the serenity prayer together. And how long does it take to say a serenity prayer? 15, 17 seconds, something like that? Well, I said the serenity prayer, and, and I held the hands of two people. I've never held the hand of anybody besides my mother before. At 21, you know, I was a virgin. I was, I, I was so sheltered. All I did was, was collect food and binge and, and just eat and, and steal and lie and then just come home and eat again. And you know when when Bill talks about Dare hiding the bottle of gin at the head of his bed, I had a I had a, a, a container of Duncan Hines under my bed, so I couldn't wake up without dipping my fingers in, and getting salt, fat, and sugar before I even got out of bed. So I, I was that sick, um, and even coming out of relapse, you know, 13 and a half years ago, I was also that sick because this is a progressive disease. So when we go and we pick up the food again, when we stop working our 10, 11, and 12, like like Leah, so. Um, nicely mentioned, um, which is a total lead-in to today, it was the exact same thing. So the bottom line is, is that I, I started immediately after my first meeting with these women holding my hands, and, and Overeaters Anonymous started teaching me how to be a human being. Okay, so I started learning how to be a human being. My brother, after 30 days of program, fell into another relapse, and then he went into a, a, an 18-month rehab, and somehow, some way, God healed him where he did not ever have to go back to another OA meeting again. And he was healed from his bulimia and anorexia and his also mental, you know, his, his mental condition. And, you know, he has issues today, but at the same time, he hasn't binged and purged and done anything with food in years. So it was basically my entry <laughs> into program that, that he helped me with without even realizing it.
So that's the bottom line. That's how I got here. That's how I came here. I'm a hardcore compulsive overeater. You know, we talked about the upcoming topics over the next few weeks, the first step and talking about the obsession and the compulsion and, and, and the allergy. Yeah, I have an allergy. An allergy is an abnormal reaction to something. In my case, it's an abnormal reaction to certain foods, at certain ingredients, as well as an abnormal reaction to the way I eat or who sees me eat it and, and when, when I eat it and what, what my mindset is. So that, that leads me to, to act out. And, but if, if my program is strong, meaning, because the first step is one step, there's, there's 12, 11 other steps, the problem is the first step, the solution is the second step. So once I have a solution in my life, I can now live this way of life and, and be free of compulsive overeating a day at a time, not by my means, but by higher power's means because I learned how to find a higher power, because the Jewish God that I had walking into program wasn't working for me. And not that the Jewish God is wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a lovely religion, and it's fantastic, and I actually embrace it today. However, the way I was taught it was not lovely, and the way I was taught it was a very angry God. And you know, even to the point where I've had conversations with my rabbi years later, you know, he would say to me, Scott, you, know, you have a God that you love, and I have a God that I fear. And he talks to me about God as he fears. And, and you know, again, that, that doesn't work for me. So I didn't, it didn't work for me. So I had to learn how to fire that God and really hire a new higher power, something, something that's going to work for me. So I went through the steps. And, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going through these steps because I've done that before. You guys can go and look up and, and, and listen to me rambling on about the steps for an hour and a half. But the bottom line is, is so I, I figured out what the problem was. I figured out what the solution was. The solution in step two tells me that I, I need to find a power greater than myself which will solve my problem. Okay, so how do I do that? Well, I figure out what this higher power might be or is or something I can believe in. Maybe not have faith in, but believe in it. Then I, I take a leap of faith in step three. Then I do an inventory and I start learning who the hell Scott is and what's blocking him from higher power. So I do an inventory in step four. I share that inventory with God and another human being and, of course, myself. But God, you know, if you notice in the fifth step, God comes first. And the reason for that, I've learned, is that the fifth step is not about me sharing it with another person. It's about me sharing it with God, but the other person's a witness. That's why God comes first. It's God ourselves and another human being. And again, this is my interpretation. You can do whatever your interpretation is. And, and by all means, if anything I'm saying is opposed to your program, then by all means, work your program. And if anything I'm saying is by opposed to your big book, then by all means, follow your big book. Um, but my big book tells me that I need to turn this inventory over to God and share it with another human being and admit it to myself and then get up close and personal with my character defects, the things that are blocking me from God, as well as my assets, the things that bring me close to God, and then you know, bring God into the picture. So higher power is listed in step two, step three, step five, step six, and step seven during all this action. So higher power becomes a really, really important piece of all this, as we know. And then I, I need to go out and make amends and clean up the wreckage of my past and do restitution. This is where I'm going to make an amend to the group because I was supposed to do, if you noticed a few weeks ago, we were supposed to do, or actually a month and a half, two months ago, we were supposed to do a meeting here called um, The Art of Restitution. Well, that was me who was supposed to lead it, but that morning I ended up back in the hospital and with, with another issue. 
and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So Leia, you know, gracefully took over and made it, you guys made it into a gratitude meeting, which was fantastic. So here's my restitution by, by just saying that I'm just sticking that in and or crowbarring that in. And so, so I do these steps while I'm doing these first nine steps, again, figuring out the problem, figuring out the solution, you know, committing to my higher power, doing my inventory, sharing my inventory, getting up close and personal character defects, asking God to please remove these character defects, getting up close and personal with, with the people I harmed, and then making myself right with the rest of the world. I then become whole again, but while I'm doing that, I'm also doing steps 10, 11, and 12. And not 10, 11, and 12, but 10 and 11. So if you've listened to some of my talks, again, not everybody believes this. I have diff there's differing opinions about this. However, again, this is my week, so I get to talk a little bit about my, my stuff. Excuse me. Um, my opinion is it's important to read pages 84 through 88 every day, and it's important to do the, all that continued work that Leia mentioned because when Bill, you know, when the, the original, Bill, Bill Wilson was the, the, the writer of the big book, and of course he would send out all the information to, to other alcoholics. At, the, at first it was 20, 25 people, and then it ended up being over 100. Um, but he was the primary writer, and he took a creative writing course, and they told him, hey, you know what, Bill, um, maybe you shouldn't use the same word over and over and over again. Let's try to mix it up a little bit. He uses the word continue four times in one paragraph on page, 80, on page 84, which Lair, you know, uh, I mentioned at the very beginning of the meeting, which I always laugh about. So here's the whole point of the recovery bank, okay? I'm going to now fast forward to today. And now it's 9 o'clock, so I've talked for a half hour or give or take. And I'm going to talk for another 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I, I know I have up to an hour, but, you know, however long I go, I go. And the bottom line is, is that the recovery bank, to me, is a spiritual bank. It's something that um, I've basically, when I'm compulsively overeating, when I'm out there acting on my disease, I'm in the food, my bank is overdrawn. Okay, can you imagine that? Just, just putting the money together with the problem. Okay, so the concept of the recovery bank is that the more service I do, the more help I give people, the more help I give myself, the more I turn to higher power than turn to the food, money, you know, quote-unquote spiritual money gets put into this recovery bank. All right? So now, fast forward to the last couple of years. My bank, I'm going to admit, all right, you know what, I'll brag a little bit. Uh, and it's not a humble brag. It, it's, it's actually going to be a humble brag, but it's, it's going to be a little bit of a brag because, thank God, I've, I've done well. I've, I've, I'm maintaining over 300 pounds off my body. Um, I do a lot of service for my local means. I sponsor people. I, I do this. I do that. You know, anybody who needs help, you can call me. You know, just, just so you know, I'm going to mention my phone number a few times because I really want phone calls and I really want to have a conversation about this. Um, my phone number is 718-440-4776. Again, 718 718- 440-4776, and I'm going to repeat it probably two or three more times before we close, and then Leo give it at the end. But the recovery bank was, you know, I had a pretty fat recovery bank, you know, quote-unquote. Um, I had a pretty fat recovery bank. But the last couple of years, um, a lot of things happened. 
in the last few years. And then I also had a lot of medical issues in the last few years with, with ulcers and with my pancreas and with my liver and then side effects from medications and, and, and just all sorts of just mishigas and all sorts of craziness so that I was spending a lot of time focusing on Scott and focusing on Scott's body as opposed to helping you. Because I learned that the best way for my recovery is to get out of my head and into yours. And I'm a pretty, when I'm healthy, I'm a pretty big, strong guy, big in the sense of tall, muscular, and fast, and I'm a pretty big, strong guy. I learned that the most dangerous part of my body is the six inches between my ears. Okay, so I know that my brain and my disease and my craziness is the most dangerous part of me. So the more I'm out of that and the more I'm in your head by helping you, you know, if you notice, if you guys call me up, unless you get to know me a little bit or you sponsor me or this or that, you'll call me, you'll tell me, and and, and I'll let you tell me, I'll, I'll share my stuff with you. But for the most part, most people who call me, I flip it around real fast. I'm like a bucking bronco. And you get on my back, I will get you off me real fast because I don't want to focus on me. If you call me or if I call you, I want to know about you. And so I want to stay in your head. And by staying in your head, I get out of mine. Um, somebody is unmuted right now. Um, if you can just hit star one and mute yourself because I'm hearing a little bit of an echo and I know that that's somebody unmuted. So just, just saying. Um, or just hit the mute button on your phone. That'll work too. But in any case, the bottom line is, is I spent all this time in the hospitals in the last, in the last 18 months. I didn't realize it, but I was spending my recovery bank, spending cash out of my recovery bank every single day, meaning 80% of my time was more than likely spent focusing on my health, my body, me, and Scott, as opposed to you, which is where my recovery thrives. The food that I get from program, you know, the, the, the energy that I get from program is from all of you and all the people I talk to and all the people I help and all the people I share with. And, you know, if you look at step 10, you know, and then you look at step 11, if I'm working steps 10 and 11, where is God in all this? Where is, you know, my question to everybody, whenever somebody calls me up with an issue, where is God in all this? So here's a couple of quick spiritual experiences that I had recently in the hospitals. All right, so remember my brother, I, told, I spent a lot of time talking about him earlier. So all of a sudden, my, um, I'm having a tough time in the hospital recently. I was just there just like less than a month and a half ago. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and there's nobody up, and I'm, I don't know who to call. And I just want to talk to somebody. I've got to get out of my head because all I could do is think and think and think, and I couldn't sleep. And I was awake for three days straight. And it's because they had me in what they call a telemetry unit. I was wearing this monitor on my heart and my lungs and everything. And, and, all, and, and obviously the people who do that are typical older, and there's just peop, a lot of people with issues and a lot of this and a lot of that. And also it's a community hospital, so it was also kind of they took in their local crazies who were loud and screamed and this and that. So I went probably four days with getting maybe five hours of sleep for all four days total. I'm not talking about four hours a night, maybe, maybe five hours for the entire four, you know, four days. And I was going out of my mind. And I was, it was six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. 
and I was going out of my mind. And I said to myself, who do I call? Who do I call? I don't want to wake up this one. I don't want to wake up that one. This one, this is a home number, and I don't want to wake her up. I don't want to wake him up. And I said, you know what? My brother is always up. Remember my brother that we talked about who was healed of, of, of anorexia, bulimia, compulsive eating, and, and now, you know, just absent without being, quote, unquote, absent? Well, I called him up. And for the first time ever in my life, and I'm 46, my brother's 50. For the first time in my life, I sat there and I listened to my sponsor who always tells me, well, God gave us two ears and one mouth, so you listen twice as much as you talk. And I sat there and I shut up and I let my brother help me. Now, he didn't help me like a program person would help me. He didn't tell me the things that I was expecting to hear. You know, again, I'm an expert with this shit. I've been doing this a long time. And it sounds cocky, but it's not. I promise. It, it really does. It, it, but I've been doing it a long time, so I know what people are going to say. Pray about it. Talk to God. Breathe. Make a phone call. You know, all the same shit over and over and over again. Rinse, wash, and repeat. My brother, on the other hand, doesn't think that way. He thinks in line of superheroes and, and you know, the universe and people and his, his own experiences. Because while he's, he's autistic, so while he's slow, he's also, he excels in like things that he loves, which are superheroes and TV and, and science fiction. And so he started, all of a sudden, he started helping me by getting me out of my head and really helping me focus on other things. So that was a spiritual experience right there. I sat there in the hospital crying, thanking my brother for an hour and a half conversation, all about everything but program stuff. And maybe I needed that. I, obviously, I did, especially if I'm talking about this so long. Later on in the same day, again, lack of sleep. I'm going nuts. My mind is going crazy. And plus, they're not feeding me very well because I had pancreatitis, and, you know, they don't give you a lot of food in the hospital. If you have pancreatitis, it's for, you know, the first four or five days, I'm literally sitting there on an IV with no food. It's, it's you know, they call it NPO. It's, there's no, nothing by mouth. And so I'm sitting here eating ice chips, you know, and I'm, you know, again, I'm recovered, but I'm still compulsive over it. I want to eat. You know, I enjoy my food. God gave me a tongue for a reason. Food tastes good for a reason. And I couldn't eat. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. Nothing was making me happy. And except for the phone conversations I would have with people and other things, so I was very depressed. And I was spending money out of my recovery bank left and right. So the food obviously wasn't being picked up because you know, it's kind of obvious because I'm sitting in the hospital under IVs and this and that, and, and so it couldn't be picked up. However, the way I talk about it, those, those dominoes are falling, and eventually, you know, if we read page 85, it says that we're not cured of this stuff. When we get restless, irritable, discontented, and God becomes a little less powerful than the food, guess what's going to end up happening? Well, guess what did end up happening? What does end up happening is I get phone calls from a lot of people from Vision for You all the time, all the time. And those phone calls are, Scott, I'm having trouble. Or, Scott, I have this. And, Scott, you know, I've eaten and I listened to your recording. And, and, and the number one problem I'm finding, which we all know and, and a lot of us realize, is that we don't, if we're not working 10, 11, and then eventually 12, it's, it'll lead straight to relapse. Those dominoes start falling, and then they will fall eventually all the way, and then we get screwed. So my dominoes were falling, and here's another spiritual experience, and then, then I'm just going to talk about a couple of things, and then we'll wrap up, and then I'll take all your questions, and 
Again, my phone number, 718-440-4776. I'll repeat it, 718-440-4776. So after this recording, call me. You know, if you call me right away, I'll probably be on the phone with somebody else. So maybe, you know, spread it out a little bit. Call me today, call me tomorrow, call me this week. But here's the thing. I, I was, I was, my dominoes were falling. I was losing my mind. So I'm, I go and I look out the window and I sit down. And it's not a great view, and it's, it's a shitty hospital. Sorry for the language. Um, it, it's a shitty hospital, and I'm sitting down, and I'm not eating. I'm not doing this. I'm not sleeping. My mind is just boggled, and, and God is nowhere to be found at this point. It's so weird that I just didn't pray so much. I, I, just, I was just so focused on getting, getting out of there and just focusing on my body that I just wasn't really talking to God. So I sit down. And I, and I look out the window, and I put on my headset, and I say, you know what? I haven't listened to a lot of music. So I put on a playlist of music, and it just so happens the playlist was the Angry Woman playlist. And everybody has one. Um, my ex-wife made it, and, and it ended up in my phone. It stayed here. It's basically every song from Gloria Gaynor all the way to Pink and, and uh, Adele and the artists of today. It's every fuck you song every woman you know, who's angry at a man or angry at another woman ever made. So, so, you know, I'm listening to all these people, Anis Morissette and Kelly Clarkson, and, and I'm listening to all this angry music, but I close my eyes and I sort of zone out. And when I zone out, I think about an experience I had a few years ago. The experience was I was sponsoring three different women, because I sponsor men and I sponsor women. I was living out west, and I sponsored these three different women. And these three different women... Uh, now, typically today, at least you know, these days, when I sponsor people, they all know each other. My, grant, my sponsees, sponsees all know each other. We all get together as groups. Um, everybody knows my sponsor, and everybody knows each other. It's, it's a sponsorship family. There's some sponsees I have that I keep private because they've asked for that. But for the most part, you know, if I'm going to take you on as a sponsee, you're going to get the phone numbers of other people I sponsor. You're going to get the phone numbers of people they sponsor. You know, and we try to keep a recovered family so that you always have somebody strong to talk to at all times, plus to do the things you need to do, like going to meetings and finding people and, and talking to people and getting out of your head. So, but back then, it was a little bit different. I was living in Las Vegas. I was traveling a lot. And the way I sponsored was just different. Nobody knew each other. And, and I just so happened to be sponsoring three people of the exact same personality type, three angry women which is mad at the world, mad at their partners, mad at this, mad at that, and they all happened to be in their 20s or 30s or whatever it was. And so I took them all through the steps as I normally do. So the bottom line here, to, to fast forward the story, because I, I got to you know, eventually close and listen to you guys, um, the, the whole point of the story is that by the time these women went through the book, got through, you know, got through step 12, started practicing 10 and 11 while working 2, 3, 4, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and then living 10 and 11 and then 12 every day by me training them how to be a sponsor, or the big book really, training them how to be a sponsor, it, these women had transformations that you wouldn't believe. Nobody was angry anymore. Their lives were different. Their, their relationships were different. Their jobs were different. And there was multiple transformations going on in my life. So I was just dreaming about this because, again, my mind is boggled because I haven't had sleep in days. 
And God has been nowhere in the picture, so God sneaks his way in to, you know, if I can't, God will always do for me what I can't do for myself. So God snuck his way in and gave me this vision. And I'm sitting there and I wake up and I said, wow, the thought I got from listening and thinking about these women and then listening to this angry music, first of all, I turned off all the angry woman music and I put on something I love like Zeppelin or, you know, some sort of classic rock. Um, And I put on uh, happy music and I started thinking to myself, Scott, God wants me talking to other people. God wants me in other people's heads and to stay the F out of the hospital and to really take care of myself. By that point, the main reason I've been in hospitals this whole time has been medicine mixes. I'm on like, I I was on a really strong ulcer medication, a really strong this medication, a really strong that medication, uh, blood pressure, you know, just heart, lung issues, steroids, this and that and the other thing. And then the doctors slowly but surely got me off of almost everything and then put me on the most mild of everything. And now I've been out of the hospital, you know, for the longest I haven't been. And it's been amazing. And, and I had this spiritual experience. So I called a friend a really close program friend, plus my sponsor, plus other people, and we started talking about this recovery bank. And what is this recovery bank? And wow, you know, I, I was spending 80% of my time in the, in the hospital or even at home being sick or doing this or doing that, traveling or working or whatever. I was spending 80% of my time focusing on me, my problems, my issues, and, and whatever, and then 20% of my time catching up my recovery. Because, thank God, like I said, I have a fat recovery bank. Well, my recovery bank started getting thinner and thinner and thinner and was going to eventually crash. You know, eventually it will crash if we keep spending it, right? So I, the process has now stopped and it's shifted. And I said to myself, all right, this has to be a topic. We have to talk about the recovery bank and we have to talk about never being over, you know, uh, under, over, whatever it's called, um, overdrawn in our recovery banks. And then I also wanted to talk to a vision for you, especially because there's so many people who call me from a vision for you from, from these, the, these phone lines that are in relapse or in trouble or, or had this mentality of being in a bubble. And what does that mean? And I've talked about this before, and I know it's not a popular topic here, and I'll say it anyway because I don't care. You guys know me. Um, the bottom line is, is there's so many people on a vision for you or even you know, other phone lines, like the 100-pound meeting or this one or that one, that they live in a bubble. They never go to meetings in their communities, and they're not doing step 12 or they're not doing steps 10, 11, and 12 on a consistent basis. Um, and, and even somebody the other day or, or recently, people tell me, oh, I have a vision sponsor. Like, what the fuck? Sorry for the line. What, what's a vision sponsor? What does that mean? I remember being in 2014, we were in, we were in um, the Region 6 convention, and we had our very first vision for you sort of meeting, get together. There was a whole bunch of us in a room in a big circle. And we all looked at each other. We were all happy. And we all got to put faces to the names and big hugs and big kisses. But I remember a couple of people there were like, there's no such thing as a vision sponsor. It's a big book sponsor. It's somebody who takes me through the big book because a vision few is a meeting. It just so happens I go to a big book meeting with the vision few people and I listen to a vision few on Sundays, but it's a meeting. Now, the thing is, a vision few is very one direction, meaning people who are sick and suffering, unless you listen to the second hour on a weekday, 
Um, and even then, so a lot of people are just lurkers and they hide. Unless you really focus, you're not going to find a lot of the disease that we have running around in our, in our little world here. You listen to a lot of strong, recovered people, which is wonderful, but at the same time, we need to find the sick people because those are the people who we need to sponsor and we need to get out of our heads and into theirs. So how am I ever going to get better? How am I ever going to add money to my recovery bank unless I'm going to my local community? You know, uh, uh, working with others, Chapter 7, and of course, a vision for you, the chapter, a vision for you, Chapter 11, talks about building a community. And, you know, again, it's just 2016. It's 77 years later from when the book was published. At the same time, it's still so true. You know, there's, there's a lot of you out there that, that live in communities where you have to drive 40 miles to a meeting or you have to drive 20 miles to a meeting or every meeting in your community sucks because there's no recovery. Well, guess what? You need to go there and raise the level of that recovery of that meeting. You know, I live in New York City. And I'm spoiled. However, New York City is the largest intergroup in the world. You think Los Angeles is, but Los Angeles is split up. There's a lot of multiple intergroups within that one you know, big community in Los Angeles. Well, New York is not like that. You know, Manhattan and the local surrounding boroughs, for the most part, they all share the same intergroup, and there's over 120 meetings, most of them horrible. And by horrible, meaning you're going to sit there. It's people who show up. They're very transitional. And they either show up that week and they, don't, they never come back or they come back. And it's always the same thing. They always sit there, they dump, they tell their stories, or they, they meet up with their friends, and then they leave. And then we all know that because we all have meetings in our communities that are like that. So I have the same thing you guys have. It just I have a lot more of it. So, but the thing is, if I don't go to those meetings and listen and look for the people who are screwed up, way more screwed up than me, you know, because there's always people, as, as bad as we are, even if we compulsively overate before we got to the meeting, or even if we spent time in the bathroom hurling our brains out before we got into the meeting, there's always going to be two or three or four people who are way more fucked up than we are. And we need to go find those people and help them because that's how we find our recovery. You know, I always talk about one of my, one of my sponsees, and she called me up, and she's a statuesque, beautiful, young girl, just turned 30, and this was years ago. She called me up crying. Thanks, God. Today's her birthday, actually. Um, Scott, oh, my God, they took a picture of me at work, and it looks horrible. I'm like, oh, my, I'm like, oh my gosh. In any case, the thing is, I um, – hold on one second. I'm getting texted here. Uh, please refrain from foul language. I'm sorry, guys. My, my mind, you know, I, I just start wondering. I will stop. I will stop. Um, you know, my mind – I said to this woman, I said to this girl who's crying and telling me, I'm like, how am I going to help her? And how am I going to get into her head instead of me talking all about her body image? Because I've already heard it all. I already heard her inventory, and she shared her inventory, and she shared her defects, and we went through the steps. And I said to her, where are you headed to now? She says, I'm going to this body image meeting on Thursday night in, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I'm like, good, wonderful. What you're going to do is you're not going to share, you're not going to raise your hand. What you're going to do is you're going to sit there and you're going to listen to other people and you're going to find two or three other women or men who are way more screwed up than you and go up to them and help them. Or find the person who has their hand raised the whole time who never gets called on and, and go walk up to them and say, hey, you just shared and, and how can I help you? 
you know, or you couldn't share, and, and do you mind sharing what you were going to say because you didn't get picked on to share? Because that happens in New York. You know, some of our meetings are bigger, and people raise their hands and, and don't get called on because everybody picks each other, and people call on their friends, and that's just what ends up happening. So an hour and a half later, she calls me up crying, so happy, happy crying, not sad crying, and saying, Scott, oh my God, I picked up two sponsees, and I spoke to these other girls, and they were all, you know, just like you said, they were all having worse issues than I was, and forget about a stupid picture, they just had this issue and that issue, and I got to get out of my head, and I got to listen to them, and I'm like, exactly, and this is how it works, so please, if I'm to leave you guys with anything, and I'm going to shut up in, in about a minute or two, I promise, but if I'm to leave you guys with anything, Get out of your local, get off the phone, you know, stay on the phone, please come every Sunday, please call every day, please read the big book with us and, and learn from the big book every day because I've been doing it and it saved my life. But here's the thing, get out there, get into your local communities and go to your local meetings where there's sick people. Even if the meeting is horrible, go there and raise the level of recovery at that meeting. It's so important that you do that because that's the only way for us to carry the message. You know, the primary purpose, in Tradition 5, our primary purpose is to help those who are, who are still suffering. Our primary purpose is not to lose weight and, and just meet up with our friends. Our primary purpose is to help those who are still suffering. So that's what, I, that's what my, I'm begging you guys to do because I started crying talking to a sponsee last night. And I said, there's so many people from the vision calling, forget about vision, there's so many people from the phone lines calling me up, crying, and I'm saying, it's because you're not getting out to your local meetings, it's because you're not helping other people. That's the best way for us to do service. And, you know, if, if I'm to leave you with anything, it's that. And, you know, the other pieces, steps 10, 11, and 12, I read, I have my sponsees read pages 84 from where step 10 starts, like this thought brings us to step 10, exactly on page 84, through the end of the chapter, um, every day, no matter what, and then they write an 11-step inventory based on the, the 11 questions asked on page 86, where it says the night before, and once they hit step 7, and they're working on step 8 and 9, because 8 takes a week, I mean, how long does step 8 really take? 8.5 takes a lot longer, and I'll, I promise I'll bring up that topic again, and we'll go through the art of restitution. But, you know, the action for step eight is way more, you know, longer of the process, but the actual writing of the inmates, you know, writing all the names is easy because it's basically our, our fourth steps turned upside down. So, you know, doing that stuff following up on that stuff, and then, because once they're doing that, I tell them you have to start sponsoring. And if you don't feel comfortable sponsoring a new, com you know, a retread, somebody who's been around forever and ever and ever keeps losing their absence, then sponsor brand newcomers and teach them as if you were taught for the first time. Do whatever has to be done for your recovery. But steps 10, 11, and 12 are the only ways for us to add money to our recovery banks. Otherwise, we're spending it. Otherwise, we're in trouble and, we're, and our banks are overdrawn and we're compulsively eating. And there's so, much, so many of us who are. And I know, we, I know you're out there because you, you call me all the time and you tell me this. And I really just, we just need a world that, that there's so many people who die from our disease and everything associated with our disease. And me being in all these hospitals have really just focused my mind on all the sickness and all the stuff that can happen with our disease. So please, for God's sakes, please start reading 84 through 88 
And then when you get to your seventh step and you're doing your eighth step and working on nine and, or 8.5 and then figuring out nine, start talking to your sponsor about getting out there and sponsoring, sponsoring newcomers, sponsoring old-timers, sponsoring anybody, just helping somebody else and bringing them through the steps and reading this book. People say to me, Scott, all the time people say, Scott, how do you, how do you know what word is on every page of the book? You're so amazing. I'm like, I only know because I read the book over and over and over again. Either I get invited to retreats all over the world, and yes, I've traveled you know, internationally as well as locally. I just got back from St. Louis just recently. I did a retreat there. And you know, I brought people through the steps. That's what we do. By doing that constantly, our minds are focused on that and not on ourselves, not on the sides of our asses, and not on, on the, the craziness that's in our lives, but on other people. And that's what's going to help us. So I'm going to stop ranting. I'm going to say my name is Scott, Scott Cantrowitz, Scotty K, Scott K, whatever you want to call me. My phone number is 718-440-4776, 718-440-4776. And now I'll turn it back over to Leah, who's now going to probably bark at me a little bit for going too long and cursing too much. And now I'll take your questions. Thank you very much, Scotty, for sharing your <laughs> personal experience and insight with us today. Thank you for your service. We are now going to transition to questions and answers. So if you have a question for Scotty, you can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Anonymous? Uh, I didn't catch that first name. Anonymous? Anonymous. Hi, Anonymous. And Roz. Uh, R. Nancy R. Okay, Roz, Nancy R. Anyone else? Anonymous, no outside issues, okay? No outside issues, let's say that ahead of time. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, Leah. Okay, related Clarify. to, thank you so much. Just for everyone to know, related to the program of recovery and compulsive overeating, please. Thank you. Any Anyone else? Leah, Chrissy G. Chrissy G. Okay, let's start with that first, please. Go ahead, Anonymous. Hi, Anonymous. Hi. I'm, I mean, uh, I, ha I have a question. I'm hoping, I, I adore Leah, so I hope that I'm going to hit on the cylinder she's asking for. Listen, thank you for mentioning medical issues. This is the reason why I'm calling myself Anonymous, obviously, uh, embarrassed. Yeah. Um, for for any little ears that might be hearing on the phone, think of the movie Harry Met Sally, and when she said, "I'll have what she's having." Yeah. I developed I developed a medical issue like that where you don't come down from it. It happens okay. at night. Excuse me, anonymous. This is what an is your question? This is exact. Scotty, we're taking this for this is an outside issue, please. Okay. Uh, uh, well, I was well, it was about a sponsorship. <laughs> so if you don't want me to, I'll I'll mute. Can you, a, can you just give a quick, shortened version of the question, and then if it's not appropriate, we'll let so, you know. Otherwise, just hit me with it. So the only thing is that they um, say the only thing they're able to do is four ounces of wine at night. It's the only thing bringing it down, besides some major heavy drugs. Um, when I tell this, and I'm absolutely honest to everybody, I'm wondering: is there a moratorium of this thing? If I've got a doctor issued four ounces, uh, red ounces, uh, red glass of wine at night, that people don't sponsor this because of the program? Um, this is the question, Leah, I adore you, and so I would never try to wreck your meeting with something wrong. Thanks. 
Um, I'm going to say, you know what, you have my phone number, please call me and we'll talk privately about it. Um, because it, it is an outside issue because, you know, wine, you know, alcohol is uh, an allergy for a lot of people. But for this meeting, you know, for the purposes of this meeting, it's, it's probably better that we discuss this privately or you discuss it privately with somebody else. Um, and I'll be very happy to answer it, but I think this is not the forum for that. But I, I am grateful that I did share about my medical issues because a lot of my medical issues, besides the medications I'm on, it's because I've spent years as a compulsive overeater. I've spent years as, as you know, drinking alcohol and taking drugs and doing things to harm my body, which are now I'm paying for. So we'll talk privately. Thank you so much. Next, next question, One, please. Wonderful. Thank you, Anonymous. I hope you get the help you need. Roz R. Hi. Hi, Scott. Um, hi, Leah. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. I needed to hear what you shared today. Um, I came into the rooms in, in 1982. I have the biggest issue about, um, I lived in, in Michigan, I lived in New York, and the meetings were phenomenal. I'm in Florida now, and I have been so judgmental for the 16 years I've lived here that I hate going to meetings. Um, and I get very annoyed when I hear people talk about food and the problems. And if you can share anything with me to help me know how to go into those rooms without my blood boiling, um, I, I, I just have not done it. And I think that's Thank you, what I need to do. Thank you, Ross. Um, here's, here's the thing. Again, I'm going to repeat myself because I'm consistent. If there's anything you're going to learn about me, I'm very consistent with my answers and my, and my statements. The bottom line is that, first of all, I know a lot of people from Florida, so please reach out to me privately. I'll give you phone numbers, and, and I'll get you to some meetings that, that you might hear something. However, your main purpose to stay abstinent is to help, not to get. It's not always about getting. You know, when I, when, when I hear somebody say, you know, when I say I quote-unquote need a meeting, that means I need to get the heck out of Scott's head and get to a meeting so I can help somebody else so, so that that's where God can come in and make the necessary changes because if I'm too busy working in my brain, higher power has no chance of coming in. So even though the meetings might be, you know, non-recovered, and a lot of people eating and this and that, your local meetings are still an opportunity for you to get, for you to, to talk to people who are sick and suffering and help them and raise the level of recovery at that meeting. If you're abstinent, then you can raise the level of recovery at your local meetings and, and build a community. Back in 1939, when, you know, April of 1939, when the big book was published, and in, the world got it during the Second World War in the 40s, and this and that, nobody saw the big book. And the only reason why, excuse me, that they saw the big book was because, you know, they were being helped, and they were being this and they were being that. Unless you lived in, in Ohio or New York or Chicago and a couple of places, there were no meetings. There, were no, there was nothing. You had to go out and build your own community. And that's what we need to do today. So if you have a community of OA, even though that it may not be strong and recovered and this and that, then go there and make it. Go, go change it. Go make changes. Every meeting has a steering committee. Go to those steering committee meetings. Don't get angry. Because if you get angry, then, then who are you hurting? You're hurting you. So next question. Thank you very much, Roz. Okay, Nancy R., your turn. Hi, uh, thank you. I'm Nancy R. I'm a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. First, I want to say, Scott, I really uh, got a lot from your share. I like it when people keep it real, and that's what you did today, my brother. 
Thank you so very much. Um, I was struck by uh, something you said, uh, the difference in the way the rabbi sees God and the way that you see God. Yeah. Uh, so um, I uh, come from a very, uh, my father was a pastor, mm-hmm. and uh, I would like for you to address how, you know, how the program helped you to reconcile, come to that uh, conclusion that you mentioned in the uh, Thank you, Nancy. Yes, yes. I, I, I'll give a quick, I'll give a quick response because again, not everybody is of faith. Um, but again, you know, I'm I'm a Jew from New York, and my sponsor is a Catholic who's very conservative and voting for for somebody different than me this year, and and doing this and doing that. And my rabbi is the person, you know, who at 12 years old, I went to this. It just so happened I went to this yeshiva that they were very militant. They were very angry, and it was all about. It was all about being scared of God, so you have to do this or else you're going to die. If you don't eat this on this day, if you don't eat that, if you don't stand during this thing, if you don't wear this on your head, as opposed to other synagogues and other religious Jewish places that, that just embrace and love God. So my rabbi and I have a great relationship. And, you know, I, I love all of his kids. They all know me. I go there every Pesach, every Passover, Rosh Hashanah, the new year is coming very shortly, and I'll be there just to say hi and hang out and and they know I'm going to take the train home. They know I'm going to drive home. But at the same time, it's like he, he has a God. He just believes it. You know, in, his, in his mind, he has a God that he fears. And that's just the way that he was taught and how to teach others. I was taught a little bit differently in programs. I had to find a higher power that I loved, that, that loved me, as opposed to me fearing it. And that's a very philosophical discussion that we can have offline However, you know, the way I was able to negotiate that and bring that into my program was just I needed to write a help wanted ad for a higher power. And if you go to, um, to our website, a business view um, with the number 4.info, if you go to our website and you look back in 2014, I did a talk called um, Coming to Believe, Came to Believe. And I spoke for 45 minutes to an hour, I think. I think it was almost like 52 minutes on all about step two, all about me getting rid of the God and all the God baggage that I had coming in and then changing. So uh, I, I talk a lot about that on there. And then you can also call me privately and we'll have a conversation about it. But I just basically need to find a way that, that me and something greater than me need to get along and, I, and not have all the baggage that I had or else I wasn't going to be able to recover. So thank you. Thank you, Nancy R. Chrissy G. Sorry, I'm here. Hi, hey, Chrissy. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Okay. Hi, Scotty. Thank you so much. Chrissy G. Recovered Cabal's Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. And, um, yeah, you inspired me today, I have to say. And what in terms of getting getting out there and helping other people. I, I go to other 12-step programs where I see people have the food issue too, and I've been able to be effective in that way, um, helping to make there's, there's a lack of awareness in other programs like in, in AA. How do, you, how do you deal with just people, if you deal with at all, someone who reaches out to you, says, I don't know, I, you know, I'm, reco- I'm recovered in this program for so long, but I have issues with the food, and I don't know why that, you know, the, the steps aren't just working on that without really well, addressing issues. I've had that 
conversation with people before. So well, here, here's the thing. That Thank you. For you. Oh, absolutely, Christy. And here's the thing. Um, again, I speak all over the world. Um, I've traveled in other countries and I've traveled throughout our country for both OA and in other fellowships to do big book stuff because that's what I love. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, there, why are there 500-pound rabbis and why is there heroin addict priests and why are there, you know, uh, coke-smoking Buddhists? You know what I mean? And so it's like anybody can, can have any religion but religion and, and sort of connection with a higher power in one sense doesn't help us with, with another sense unless we completely give everything to God. Now, if you know the story of, of our program, Dr. Bob, you know, the co-founder, you know, Dr. Bob's Nightmare, it's the very first story after, the, after page 164, I think it's on 167. Dr. Bob was, you know, obviously very much an alcoholic. However, he was a big part of the Oxford movement, which is where our steps and the whole concept of, of what we do comes from. And, and he just never admitted it to them. Now, the only reason why we all got together and this whole movement happened was because his wife finally convinced him. And she's like, Bob, you've got to tell everybody that you're an alcoholic because if you, you can't be connected to God completely if you're still holding something by yourself. And his wife you know, had that vision, so he did. And everybody was like, of course, you know, obviously we know Bob. <laughs> so it was easy, but at the same time, Bill then came to town two weeks later. If you know the story, if you read A Vision for You, it's the stories in there of Bill finally coming to town and saying, you know, oh, I need, I need to find another, I need to find another drunk so I can get better because I'm, I'm in trouble. And so they connected him via some other people. They, they connected him to Dr. Bob. If Dr. Bob never admitted his, compuls his, his alcoholism to his religious group, then he would have never been connected with his wife, with Henrietta Cyberling, you know, with, with Reverend Tunks and all the people who were involved with that. So even in other programs, you know, there's, there's going to be somebody who's recovered from heroin, but who's 900 pounds. I mean, because it happens. There's multiple seats in the Titanic. And, and I fit into a lot of them. And uh, I just choose this one as the most comfortable one because I know I could be the most service and help here. So if that helps, great. If not, you call me privately and then we'll go from there. Thank you, Chrissy G. Who else has a question for Scotty this morning? Star one hey. to unmute. I'm Phil. Can you hear me? Hey, Phil, hold on one second. All right. Hi, my name's Nancy. Nancy. Who was before Nancy? Martha S. Martha S. Nancy. Ginger C. Ginger C. Who was before Ginger? Alyssa B. Alyssa B. I am Greg. Brad, is that correct? Greg. Uh, Greg. Greg, I'm so sorry. I actually, Greg. I know him, Leigh. I'm sorry. I recognize him. Okay, all right, all right. That's Greg. I know Greg. It's your fan club showing up. Hey, you know, okay. we, we got to represent. we got to represent. Right, so. right. I got it. I got it. Okay, well, let's start with your number one fan, Phil. Hi, Phil. Hey, What's up, Phil? Hey, Scott. Phil from New York City here representing. I just wanted to say that thank you so much for talking about the Recovery Bank. And it's just just in a spiritual way for ourselves, like replacing all these things in ourselves, like kind of filling up our recovery bank with these esteemable acts and doing these things, um, we have to do the same thing for OA itself or, you know, OA will dwindle and die. I mean, it, it has come to this point where, where, you know, not enough people are giving. I mean, not, not talking financially, even though that's an aspect of it, but like you were talking about the meetings, like going to a meeting and hating it, you know, 
there's more like they say meeting makers make it like what aspect of being at the meeting are you doing to make it you know like people yeah. putting things in there setting even setting up chairs or just being there in a meeting to reach out to newcomers they're always saying what so my question for you is this what can the person who has the recovery you know, like might have the time can do to to enhance a meeting that they can't stand or a newcomer that comes to a meeting and can't stand the meeting because people are doing this or people are doing that? Is it about what the other people are doing or is it about what they're doing? So that's my question for you. Well, thank you, Phil. And and Leah was right. You are one of my num one of my number one fans and and a great <laughs> and a, and an amazing sponsor. And I'll just you know we we talk about that openly. So, um, but at the same time, here's the deal, folks. Um, again, we go to meetings. In the end, we, we come to program, we go to meetings for ourselves, right? And let's, let's be honest. We go for ourselves. But the thing is, the only way that we get the help is by opening ourselves up to other people and giving the help. So that's it. It has nothing to do with anybody else who's going to sit there and do or, or try to do. Or people go to meetings for all sorts of reasons. People go to meetings to hook up with other friends, and people go to meetings for this, and people go to meetings for that. I'm going to a meeting to... to because my, my primary purpose tells me that I have to help somebody who's still suffering. And that's my primary purpose, and that's all I'm focused on. And yeah, if it so happens I'm meeting somebody beforehand, I'm meeting somebody afterwards, you know, we, we have dinner afterwards, whatever, the bottom line is, is I'm, I'm there to help somebody else who's still suffering. And, you know, the, the beginner's kits that we have in our program have lines on them. And everybody looks and like, what are those lines for? Like, those lines are for me to write my phone number and say, hi, I'm Scott Kantrowitz. Here's my phone number. Please call me if you have any questions about our meeting. Here's a beginner's kit. Here's, you know, some questions and answers that the fellowship has deemed appropriate for you to, to see. You know, I, I focus on this book and this book. And, you know, the, the fellowship, please come to other meetings. Here's a meeting list. Here's this. Here's that. And I give my phone number and offer help. That's the purpose for me to go to a meeting. Anything else? Is, is just it's just extra. So, was that helpful or? Thank you, Phil. Thank you very much, Nancy. Your turn. If you could give us the first letter of your last name, please. Nancy. Star one to unmute. Hi, Nancy M. Nancy M. Go ahead with your question, please. Okay. Nancy M. I'm a compulsive overeater. Grateful. Um, I guess my question is this. I I listened to what you had to say, and I agree with probably, like, all of it. Um, the struggle that I have is, is that I, I broke my abstinence of six years, and I, and I know that I have this disconnect with my higher power. Um, I did, that, did the help wanted ad. And I'm just not connecting. And I know that the program works. I, I yeah. know that I've lo I lost 100 pounds. I've gained like 35 of it back. Sure. Um, you know, so like like I was at a meeting yesterday. I didn't want to go. But I knew that once I got there, I'd be okay and I'd enjoy it. And I did. And And I heard people say things that I said to my sponsor that they said to their sponsee. I know, you know, like I know it works, right? And I know that I'm important in my, you know, not overly important, but, you know, I have my own little piece in, in, in the program. Yeah. But 
I'm spiritually bankrupt right now. It's like there's like, just like real resentful. It's just like I don't want to do this again. I don't want to give to other people. I don't you know, like when you said, you know, get out of yourself, which is exactly what I should do, but I don't want to do it. So, Hi Nancy. Um here's the thing. I, I was after nine eleven hit and I I'm a New Yorker and I'll tell this really brief because I know we gotta close in like, you know, twenty minutes or so. I, yeah. I I had the worst experience of my I've lost family members I my my wife was living blocks away. Witnessed the whole thing. It was a mess, and 9/11 just happened. And I flew home, and I flew to St. Louis on 9/12 to do service in St. Louis to to run a retreat that weekend, to 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 take people through the steps. 33 women and me through the steps, um, and then came back on 9/11. And the thing is, it's it's what we learn on page 62 of our big book is that selfishness is the main is is the main issue that we have here. You know, they say yeah. that resentment kills more alcoholics. Well, selfishness is what everything breaks down into. And selfishness, self-centeredness, you'll learn to eventually, once you're ready, to eventually get connected or get closer to something that's greater than you when you're done, you know, when you're done following what you want. And, and again, this is more of a personal conversation, and I apologize for, for being so so personal about it because um, I really should just be speaking in the in more of the narrative sense, but the bottom line is, is, is that we're not ready to change until we're ready to change. And so once we put the food down, that's the first thing, that's step zero. We understand we have an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. The, the obsession can only be taken care of by something greater than me. And that something greater than me has to be, it doesn't have to be a god or deity or some sort of something. It could be group of drunks. G-O-D could be group of drunks. It could be good orderly direction. It, it could be a billion things other than some deity. It doesn't have to be some sort of religious deity. It just has to be something that's greater than you. And if you can find something that's greater than you, you know, for me, a lot of it is, is you know, the sun is greater than me. The moon, something creates the sun, something creates the moon, something makes food grow out of the ground. And, and I put my higher power sort of on my shoulder so that if my higher power is sitting there next to me, I have to ask my higher power to leave the room if I want to compulsively overeat. And I'm not willing to do that today. You know, I, not that I don't mind this 200-pound body as opposed to the 508-pound body, but even if I'm sick, even if I'm crazy, and my spiritual bank is, is disappearing, I learned that the way to add money to that spiritual bank is to do stuff for others, even if I don't want to, because I've been told, you know, this, is, this program is all about selfishness. You know, when you read the book, when you actually look at the text, it'll show you right there. Just read pages 61, 62, 63, and then call me tonight, and then we'll have a conversation, okay? Thank, Thank you, you, Nancy, for your question. Martha S. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Hi, this is Martha S. in upstate New York. Thank you, Leah, for your service, and thank you, Scott, for your story. Um, <laughs> I've been in the program two years. I've been um, working, uh, living in 10, 11, and 12 daily for about a year. I had just started to introduce myself at my live meetings. I go to three face-to-face meetings as recovered, gratefully recovered. And then Thursday morning, or Thursday, I blissfully went to a buffet with my husband and feeling protected from eating my my red light ingredient by my higher power, and I ended up eating something that had those ingredients in it. And then I went back for more. So my question is, um, for 
for like doing service and a vision for you or introducing myself as recovered so that newcomers in my meetings can hear that there is something yeah. called recovery, that we're not, not all just white-knuckling it from day to day. Yep. Um, it, my sponsor told me to reach out to others with this question. Sure. Um, when am I no longer recovered? If I don't recall from this food, like a hot flame in the bottom of page 84. Yep. Like, you know, I don't well, know. Well, here's, here's the thing. There's a lot of people in our, in our vision for you bubble. And again, I, I, I know that I get some flack for saying this, but, but it's, we're, we're kind of in a bubble. A lot of us don't go, and when I say us, a lot of people who listen to A Vision for You or even other phone meetings don't go to local meetings, and they kind of stay in the same bubble with the same people, and they listen to the same people over and over again, and they go to the same Facebook groups. I've been calling myself recovered since 1993, which is 20 years before Vision for You was even thought of. You know, Vision for You has been around for like, what, three, four, something, four and a half years since, since maybe 11 or 12. But the thing is, is, is I was told to call myself recovered because the food was way more powerful than, I'm sorry, the, my higher power was way more powerful than the food. Now, when God sort of lost God's place and I put God aside in the favor of women and drugs and food and other things and started compulsively eating again, then I couldn't call myself recovered because I wasn't. Now, the thing is, when I got abstinent in, in 2003, I was then calling myself recovered again. And when I'm abstinent, meaning abstaining from my, you know, whatever my definition of abstinence is, everybody's is different. My just happens to be I keep away from recreational sugars, you know, cookies, cake, candy, ice cream, you know, shit like that. Sorry for the language. Um, and, and I keep away from that first compulsive bite, meaning I eat slow. So that my body, I, I, it takes my body, you know, it takes our body, it takes our mind 20 minutes to catch up with our bodies. So I learned how to do that. I learned how to eat and put my fork down between bites. And I learned how to do certain things so that I can stay sane when it came to food. So I know when I'm full. And I know which foods cause an allergy in me. And I know this and I know that. And knowing is great, except if I don't have a higher power, it means nothing. So once you have a higher power in your life, and you, you know, go to the buffet. I, I went to St. St. Louis. I, I talked about St. Louis a couple of times. When I went to St. Louis, there was a guy who was running the place. And I called him the food Nazi, like when I was on stage, and they all laughed at me because he was like, oh, first time around, everybody has to have this. Like, first time around, I only, I've learned to only go to buffet lines once and fill my plate up once, and that's it. No second, thirds, fifth, seventh. So, you know, if he's only going to give me this much protein, then it's obviously a human amount of protein that he's deemed appropriate. And you know what? When I really looked at it, it, it made sense for me. I didn't need to go back up and have this much extra protein or have an extra piece of sausage in the morning or have an extra piece of eggs in the morning. You know, the guy, you know, he did it on purpose because he only made a certain amount of food for the 37 people who were there. So, so you know, that's, that's kind of how we have to live. And it's quite calling yourself recovered. You know, there's people, again, running around a vision for you and other places that say, I got recovered on this date. I'm like, what does that mean? Really? What does that mean? You got recovered on? That's, that's a little confusing to me because, to me, I'm recovered in the sense of, of God being more powerful than the food. So the day I got abstinent is the day I got recovered, but, but I, you know. And I get on sponsors who are afraid of saying it in meetings. Because they're like, oh, well, people look at me funny. I'm like, so? You 
you know, call yourself recovered or, or say that, that you're a compulsive overeater recovered for today. If you want to say that, if you want to, you know, wimp out and say that, then by all means, say you recovered for today. And it is what it is, but the bottom line, that that's the whole thing. I mean, if I, if, does that help? Yes, it does. It does. Good. Thank you so much. Thank but you. don't worry about don't worry about what you call yourself. Worry about you know focus on your higher power, focus on the work you're doing with others, and let the food take care of itself. Yes, yes. The food, the food. If you do the step work and you do the 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 the, the work, the food will take care of itself, and then you'll be recovered yourself. Who cares what you call yourself? Yeah, you know, I think it's father was doing all that, and I still. I still ate the stuff that was just not good for me at all. So then, there's, then there's another issue going on and that you need to talk to your sponsor about or call me or call somebody else here. And okay. that's, that's something else. Because if, if you're picking up, there's something going on that's, okay. that's getting in the way between you and your higher power. And that's something that's, that's beyond our conversation here because, you know, there's, there's a lot of people on this call listening right now. So, you know, okay. that's, a private, that's a private conversation. I'll be happy to have it with you. Thank you. Yes, and of course, for further elaboration on recovered and the experience of that, you'll find that on the bottom of page 84. Okay, let's go to our next question with Alyssa, please. Hi, are you able to hear me? Yes. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, thank you, Leah, and thank you, Scott, for your story. I really resonated with you talking about having a father who compulsively underate because that's something I experience on a daily basis, um, and other people close to me who are in the throes of compulsivity in different a myriad of ways. A best friend of mine is definitely a compulsive overeater, but um, they know I'm in the program, but um, they don't understand how it works. They don't really get it, and I know this program is based on attraction rather than promotion, um, and I love being of service to people in program on a daily basis. But I'm wondering, how do you, um, as someone who has family members um, and people close to you that are definitely in the throes of things, um, how do you be of maximum service to those not in program? Because I know how to talk to program people very well because it's something I enjoy doing on a daily basis. Sure. But how do you... Be, how do you 12, not 12 step, but how do you just be a maximum service to those sure. who don't get programmed? Well, here's the thing, Alyssa. Um, my mother was a compulsive eater. She had, uh, both of my parents died. They both passed away. So my father died of cancer, and he was an under-eater, and I never was able to help him with food. I was always trying to give him extra protein because I always needed him, you know, because the doctors were always saying this and this and that, so whatever. My mother, on the other hand, was an overeater, so I identified more with her. She had a heart condition, a lung condition. She had everything but cancer. She had a heart condition, a lung condition, many strokes, um, uh, ulcers, and then she eventually died of an aneurysm that burst that she had, an aortic aneurysm, which is between the heart and lungs, and boom, she, she passed away in 2012. And it's horrible, and I'm an orphan, yay, you know, unfortunately for me. So um, the thing is, is that all I had to be is a power of example. I had to go to my meetings. I had to do my step work. I had to, to read my big book. I would read my big book. My sponsor, by the way, my sponsor has me read two pages of the big book out loud, standing up every day. That's another thing that I wanted to share and I forgot to today. And, and when I say two pages, it's not two regular pages. It's me closing my eyes. And again, I'm a big book expert. So, so I know every page. I know everywhere in the book. I know this. I know that. Every edition. And so I have to close my eyes, flip the book upside down in every direction, sideways, and then crack open any two pages. 
and read them standing up out loud. And, and that's a Joe and Charlie thing. You know, Charlie Parmley, Charlie P was my sponsor's sponsor, so she has me doing the stuff that he always shared with her. So Charlie, you know, said that, so she tells me that. So I would read it out loud, but I would make sure that I would read it out loud when my mother was awake. And next thing I know, my mother starts going to meetings. She's like, Scott, you know, where, where were these meetings? And, and I really got so much help, and you, you know, you've done so well, and how do I do it? So do you realize the big book that I use, my, not my working big book, because I, I have a, a customized big book with a spiral and, and, and a printout and, and all sorts of extra, extras because I need it for, for work work. Um, but my big book that I typically use with big book studies and my sponsees and this and that is my mother's big book, which is a third edition big book. And I use it, and it was her big book because I found it in the drawer after she died. I opened up, you know, I was cleaning out her room, and I opened up a drawer, and I found a big, a big book, and a 12 and 12, and I had no idea that my mother actually used the book. And, and, I, and I'm reading, and I see her, her, her highlighting, and it's like, oh, my gosh, my mother actually listened to what I had to say, but she never told me, because, because people are proud, and you know, mothers want to be the mothers, not be, the, you know, not be humble, and they, they, whatever. What, you know, you, you, you mothers out there, you understand what I'm talking about. And the thing is, is, is that if you take care of you, let the weight take care of itself. You take care of, you find higher power, you do the steps, you let the weight take care of itself, other people will eventually follow suit, ask you how to get help and where to go, what to do. And if they don't, that's on them. You can't run around begging everybody. All you can do is leave notes. You know, what did people do in the 40s? You know, women who were who are wives of alcoholics left big books around. They, 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 you know, doctors put them in their waiting rooms, and then libraries kept them in there. And then, and you know, this, you know what I mean. So they they weren't able to to help except be powers of example. So you get you be the power of example, and then help the family members. Both of my parents are dead. My brother, thank God, hasn't acted on his disease in years. So I haven't had to bring any program stuff in. So, you know, otherwise, that's it. Does that help? Thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. Good. Thank you, Alyssa. And Ginger C. Hey, Ginger. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Leah, for your service. And Scotty, thank you so much for your experience, strength, and hope. Um, and just want to say a warm welcome to anyone on the line struggling this morning or that's new. And I just have to totally support you on going to meetings in your local communities. Um, when I came back from Virginia Beach last year, that was Harlan's message to me. Ginger, you may be the only example of the big book that they ever see. And yeah. so I just followed. I just did what people told me to do because I was done I white surrendered, you know, that flag came yep. up and I was willing to go to any length for victory over yep. alcohol. And yesterday in our last meeting, it was a chip meeting and we had four people pick up coins. Wow. So it's big book, and it's like so beautiful to watch this unfold. And, you know, God doesn't have skin. We do. And I've got to be a maximum service. I don't know where God's showing up and who he wants me to meet or how to help. But if I'm not showing up, how am I even going to be? Begin to do that. So I just so thank you for that message and and what's your, what's your question today, Ginger? 
Yeah, my question is, how do you announce yourself in meetings? And I think you do say Scotty K recovered. And I'm just I, I, I say hi, I'm Scott. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I don't make I don't mince words. And I just say I'm recovered compulsive overeater. Some people look at me, some people don't look at me. Even people who I know on the phone lines who say compulsive overeater, you know, or people who you know, you've heard a couple of people who I sponsor, you know, some of my fan club, quote unquote, that lay and made fun of. You know, I had to get them to say, if you want me to sponsor you, you know, you're abstinent and you're you're recovered. You're, you're down hundreds of pounds, and guess what? You're recovered. And if you don't call yourself recovered, then you can't have me as a sponsor. So, you know, so people started doing that. And the thing is, is it is what it is. In the end, who cares? Who cares? Uh, if somebody wants to call themselves a compulsive reader, you know, and if we're all, and in a lot of formats say we're all compulsive readers in the room, please raise your hand. So raise your hand. I, I'm not an active compulsive reader, but I, I am a compulsive reader because I'm not cured. I have this thing for the rest of my life. I'm a hardwired compulsive reader, and I raise my hand, and yay. So, but in the end, who cares? The bottom line is we don't eat a day. We don't compulsively eat a day at a time. We do the steps. We help others. And that's all we can do. And forget about the word recovered. I mean, it's nice to say it. It's important to say it because it's important to show people that, that we can be recovered. And when they read the book, they see. Just like, just like you know, Leia said, it's on 84 and 85. You have, you have the promises right there. You see fighting anything or anyone. The prop, and then on 85, it says the problem does not exist for us. We're neither cocky nor are we afraid. And that's the thing. I'm not cocky when I say that the problem doesn't exist for me only because I have a God in my life that's way more powerful than the food. Because at the end of that paragraph, it certainly says, and this is how long we react as long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. If I'm not in fit spiritual condition, which I haven't been, unfortunately, in some of these hospital stays and this and that, which is where I was spending all my recovery bank money, that's where I got screwed up. But, you know, it, the food was the food, and, and thank God the food took care of itself, and, and, you know, that was what it was. But call yourself recovered. Who cares what people think? And if anything, you'll get, you know, the, the, the one person or the two people looking at you funny who walk up to you or call you up and saying, what, is, what do you mean by that? And then you have your conversation about it. Don't be afraid of saying it. Do not, if you're abstinent, if you're absent for more than 30 days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a number. That's, again, this is my talk, so I get to give a number. If you're absent for more than 30 days and you've done, the, you've done the first nine steps and are living 10, 11, and 12, you can call yourself recovered. I'm sorry. I'll say it. My, people in my world call it. I'll say it for me. People in my world call themselves recovered. And, and if somebody walks up to them, challenge them, say, hey, this is Scott. Call my sponsor. And ask him. And I'll defend it to death. I hope that helps. Yes, thank you. Otherwise, call me privately. You have my number. Thank you, Ginger C. Yes, an important point. Thank you, Scotty, for reinforcing that it's after the step work that one can identify themselves as recovered. That, and you've got to be abstinent. Right, of course. For, for at least 30 days. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I apologize. No, I appreciate the reinforcement that it's food is down and through the step work. Yep. After the completion of step nine. Thank you very much. And our last question comes from Greg. I know, Greg. What's up, buddy? Hi, Greg Kay. Um, 
abstinent compulsive overeater from Maine. Thank you. Yeah. Be on here. Uh, I don't really have too much. Have a question. I just want to say I really appreciate. This is the second time I've heard the concept of the spiritual, you know, bank account, so to speak. And uh, yeah, I was. Are you, are you ever drawing? Are you ever drawing? Are you ever drawing? Are you good? Uh, I'm I'm kind of running out like a little bit paycheck to paycheck right now, but I am not really drawing. So I came. Last, the last time we spoke. The last time you spoke, you said you were overdrawn, so I'm so happy that, that you're actually getting money in that bank. And I and I hate to interrupt you, but, you know. There's not a lot, but it's there. But I really I appreciate everybody. Leah, thanks for doing service. Scott, thanks for sharing. Um, you know, I uh, I don't really so much have a question because I, I don't know everything, but I know what to do, and it's to show up and, as you say, do the blanket work. And I hear that in my head all the time. It's like, okay, what do I got to do today? I got to do the blanket work because that's what's going to keep me, you know, instead of trying to figure out what I need to do, I just need to I need to get in the book, get in the service and the program. And I'm just, uh, I appreciate hearing you this morning. Thank you so much for sharing. It's saving my life. Greg, uh, you know I love you. And, and the bottom line is to read your doctor's opinion, look at what your allergy is, to food, figure out your allergies, figure out the, everything besides the allergy is the obsession. Otherwise, we'd be in Weight Watchers. And I'm not a Weight Watcher. I'm a compulsive operator. And because I'm a compulsive operator, I have a program of action with a higher power who's way more powerful than the food, so I get to be recovered today because of that. So, yeah, there's, there's some steps involved with there. There's some work involved with there. But figure out what you're allergic to, and then guess what? The rest of the work we got to figure out who we are, and then we bring God in, and God takes care of everything. If we let God just do it, if we just let go and let God take care of it, God will do it, take us through the steps. We do the process of the steps. Next thing you know, we're recovered today, and we're helping other people. And then a year later, we're like, oh, my gosh, how am I doing this? Well, you're doing this because you did the work. And that's it. So I'm so grateful you called today, Greg. I love you, and, and I hope you're well. Love you, too, dear. Thanks for the invitation. Take care. All right, peace. Thank you, Greg. Thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Scotty, for sharing your personal experience and your message of recovery with all of us this morning. It's always exciting having you on the line. <laughs> I'm going to close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God, Finley. Go ahead, Scotty. You do it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just repeating after you. No, please. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> they hear enough of me. Go right ahead. No, no, no. You really heard a lot of me today. You read it. You read it. Please. I'm sorry. No, it's a delight. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't you got. haven't got See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you travel <laughs> the road of happy destiny. May, May God, God bless, bless you, you and keep, and keep you.
until then. Can I, can I just say real quick, guys, just as, as we say goodbye, the fellowship of the Spirit, you know, there's two fellowships running around. There's a fellowship that says that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. The fellowship of the Spirit that you just heard Larry say is really about going through these steps and being part of the real fellowship, which is the rest of us who are recovered and giving away this message. And, and be part of that group because that group, it's amazing. So thank you. I'm sorry, Leah. Thank you. Thank you very much.